Let me pray for us. Lord in heaven, we are um, thankful for the breath you've given us this morning. And, um, and Father, we're mindful of your grace in our lives. That, Father, uh, not because of anything we've done on our own, but simply because of your grace, your love, and your favor toward us, we can have a right relationship with you. And, Lord, we rejoice in, um, in uh, salvation and eternal security and the promise and the hope that comes from, from knowing your Son, Jesus. And I pray, Father, that um, today that you would open our eyes and our hearts to be receptive to what it is you're trying to teach us. And I pray, Lord, that just over all of the questions we have concerning the problem of evil and pain and suffering, we would stamp the cross of Jesus Christ. And, um, and Father, that even as we finish up here and just look at the book of Job, Lord, that ultimately, um, Father, we'd find comfort um, in who Job points us toward. And that is the person of Jesus. And so uh, we thank you, Lord, that there is hope in him. And I thank you for my friends here who've made a commitment to be here over the past several weeks, for the groups they've been in, the discussions I know they've had, for uh, the several men who I know who have come to know you over the past uh, few months as a result of men in their group who are loving them well and the conversations that are being had there. So, uh, Lord, we entrust this time to you and ask that you just help us to, to finish strong here and, uh, and learn from you. In Christ's name, amen. Well, guys, what I want to do this morning, just our last time together, is I want to make a few simple observations, some, some very straightforward, well, well no kidding, I, I see that, um, and just make sure we're all on the same page. We're looking at the final chapter in the book of Job, chapter 42, and then I want to ask some questions, perhaps, um, that you could go and wrestle with within your groups, uh, questions perhaps you've asked yourself um, and don't know the answer to. Uh, or some questions perhaps you, you haven't uh, yet to consider. So, um, and then I'm going to have some, just some final thoughts on the book of Job. But um, as you open up the book, or ch- the chapter, uh, the final chapter in chapter 42, um, you'll see that it's broken up really into three parts. And just uh, for easy to remember's sake, I broke it up into three R's. You've got repentance, rebuke, and restoration. And uh, repentance in verses 1 through 6, this is where Job simply repents. You remember we talked last week about how the Lord asked him 77 rhetorical questions and talks about the mysteries of creation. And um, after hearing the Lord's 77 questions, Job just simply repents. He backs down. Here's a man who, chapter after chapter after chapter, all he has ever wanted is his day in court, is some explanation from the Lord as to why he has suffered, suffered as he has. And, uh, and, and God shows up in a whirlwind, in a storm, and he just simply says, Job, I'm going to put you on the stand first and ask him 77 rhetorical questions. And then all of a sudden, Job just remains silent. And he repents for speaking about matters um, that, uh, and, and assuming that God owes him an explanation. And he repents. And then you go from, um, after verses 1 through 6, you go into uh, this little section of rebuke where the Lord rebukes um, Job's three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, um, and Zophar. Um, and the point I'll make here in a little bit is notice one person's name is missing there. You know who that is? Elihu. And so um, we'll, we'll discuss that here in just a second. So the Lord rebukes these three friends for not representing him accurately. Okay? The Lord rebukes him for not representing him accurately. The second thing he does... 
you want to turn the slide there, is that he instructs Job's three friends to offer a burnt offering for their sin. So what he says is, is I'm going to, he challenges what it is they shared with Job during his time of suffering, his trial. He didn't, they did not represent him well or accurately. And he says, now it's your job to offer a burnt offering um, in response of your sin. And then Job intercedes on behalf of his friends so the Lord will not deal with them according to their folly, the text says. Now, I'm just imagining this little exchange here, right? Is that Job is taking an absolute beating from his friends for a long time. We've read all those chapters and all those words and the insinuation and the accusations. And then you get to the point where the Lord says, now what we're going to do is, you guys didn't represent me well. And this man over here, Job, who has spoken, spoken well of me, which is an interesting observation. The Lord points out twice the Lord, uh, that Job has spoken uh, of, of the Lord accurately. He says it twice. He says, Job now is going to pray for you. And um, I wonder what that did in Job's heart. I wonder what it would have done in my heart um, after having been accused uh, by my friends of sin and then on the other end to hear God vindicate Job. Would I have been puffed up? Would I have uh, taunted my friends and said, I, uh, one day I told you so? Or would I have been humble and gracious? But Job intercedes on behalf of his friends and prays for him. And then you get to the point of verses 10 through 17 where it's a time of restoration. It's here that we see that the Lord restores Job's fortunes after he prays for his three friends. Um, His family and his friends come and comfort and console him. And you get to that uh, perhaps troubling verse in verse 11 where it says, For all the evil that the Lord had brought on him. And um, and then you see that Job is blessed with seven sons, three daughters, grandkids, and lives another 140 years uh, from this time. All right, so those are just some basic observations that I'm sure you picked up as you read this chapter. But some questions I'd love for you to consider, and you don't have to write all these down, but maybe there's one or two that strike you that you can write down and then discuss within your group. The first one is this. How do you account for Job's response? given the little amount of explanation he was offered as to the purpose of his suffering. As I said before, Job, all he's wanted all along is an explanation as to why he has suffered to the degree that he has. He's wanted his day in court with the Lord. And then the Lord comes and asks him questions, and Job repents and doesn't ask anything further of the Lord. Does that surprise you? Do you feel as if the Lord's answer was uh, sufficient enough to where you would back down as Job did? Or would you say, hey, God, I understand that you're sovereign. I understand you have a bigger perspective, but I still don't understand why I would lose children or why I'd lose fortune or why friends would hurt me. And so how do you account for his response? Second question is, why do you think Elihu is never mentioned along with Job's other friends? When the Lord rebukes Job's three friends, why is Elihu not mentioned? Does this mean that Elihu got it right? And what's the purpose of that? What about Satan? You know, it's interesting. We saw Satan at the beginning of the book and referred to many times. There's the dialogue between the Lord and Satan. When you think in the end we'd be given a a peek into the heavenly courts where the Lord would then pick up his dialogue about this quote-unquote wager that he had with Satan. 
But Satan's gone, and there is no mention of him. Or as I commonly like to affectionately refer to, Mrs. Job, right? We see her at the beginning of the book, and then there's really nothing that's ever said about her. All we see and what uh, is inferred here is because Job has ten more children, she's there. All right? But we don't hear anything from her. The book's already long enough, 42 chapters. You get her talking, maybe it would have been a lot longer, right? But uh, this is a men's ministry, so I can say those things. Um, <laughs> please send your emails to Bobby Crotty. Third question there is, what is the connection between Job's prayer for his friends and one, the Lord's acceptance of his friends, and two, Job's restoration? It's interesting to me that the Lord is not, um, it, what seems to be implied here is that the Lord is only going to accept uh, and forgive Job's three friends after Job has prayed for them. And secondly, the Lord does not restore Job until after Job's prayer. And what's the connection there, if any? Then finally, that troubling verse in verse 11 that people have asked about. Does it trouble you? It says that uh, Job's family and friends come and they console him and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought on him. What's the implication of that? Is the Lord the author of evil? Or is he ultimately sovereign over all things? And does that actually bring comfort to you? To know that nothing can happen, nothing can happen apart from God's permissive will. Would it be more tragic to believe that something could happen to you apart from God's permissive will? What does verse 11 do or say? So those are some questions just to consider within your group. And I just have a couple of final thoughts on the book of Job. Um, You know, I was talking to my wife last night about this book and just what I've learned and things I've discovered. And I told her that ultimately, you know, the book of Job, um, surprisingly enough, really does not offer me personally a lot of comfort. It doesn't. If I'm honest, the book of Job doesn't offer me a lot of comfort in my time of trials. It offers me perspective. It offers me um, uh, wonder and awe of who God is and his sovereignty. It gives me assurance that God remains sovereign. It does comfort me, I guess I would say, in the fact that I learn from this book that, um, that it is not sin always that brings about our suffering in a karma-like way. You do this, then therefore this happens to you. You do this, therefore this happens to you, as Job's friends essentially accused him of. That, you know, you can suffer, not because you sin, but just because you live in a fallen world. Um, we can't always connect the dots. That reassures me. Job provides perspective. Job provides boundaries. Job tells me more about the sovereignty of God, but Job doesn't really comfort me. Jesus Christ comforts me. Jesus comforts me. 
when ultimately I'm asking the question concerning the problem of evil and pain and suffering in this world, it is the person of Jesus, the one who said, take this cup from me, Lord, but not your will, not my will, but your will be done. The one who said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me as he hung on that cross? The fact that God allowed his own son to become man and to suffer a greater injustice and more pain than we could ever imagine, that he would lead out like that, that he would take our place on the cross, that he would die to take and bear my sin, your sin, and three days later rise again. That's ultimately where comfort is found. That's ultimately where uh, hope is found. And so as you've wrestled with the the problem of evil, as you've uh, read through the book of Job, as you've read disappointment with God, I hope more than anything you, you do recognize that God is sovereign. And to that degree, it does comfort you. And that he does have a picture and a perspective that, that we can't share with him. He sees something bigger than we do in our limited uh, understanding. But ultimately, though, it's the person of Jesus that we have to run to when we're wrestling with this question. It's the person of Jesus. God made man, God in flesh, who would bear our sins on the cross and die for us, who took our pain, and suffered more unjustly and greater than we will ever experience, and was willing to do that for you and for me. When we all deserved, when we all deserved death, he took our spot. And now we can have hope, and we can have a life, and we can find comfort that this isn't our home. This is not our home. No worse. Alien and strangers in a fallen world, as the scriptures teach. And we're to do all we can right here to represent the God who loves us so that others can come to know him. Because one day we will go to a home. And that's why Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled. I'm preparing a place for you where there is no longer going to be questions we're asking like we are here. And that we will have understanding. That comes to the person of Jesus. And it's in him we find ultimate comfort. Let's pray. Well, Lord, I, um, I do marvel at your sovereignty. And um, I do find comfort in knowing that, um, that Father, that you are uh, always in control. Despite, Lord, the, uh, the brokenness, um, the effects that we see, all around us, Lord. But, uh, Lord, our greatest comfort comes in knowing your Son, Jesus. And I thank you, Father, for the forgiveness uh, that is ours and found through him. I thank you for the hope of the resurrection. And that one day, Lord, we will experience a time where there is no more suffering, no more pain, and no more death. And uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.